Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the CEO of Sendoso, the one and only, the man that's sending stuff all over the place. Nick, why should people listen? Okay, aside from the wonderful imagery of Armand packing up a cardboard box and licking stamps, Chris like talked about stuff like using VAs as a salesperson, putting intentionally sent from your iPhone in emails to make it a little bit more openable. And just some stuff that like is really creative. So this was a fun one, man. Three, two, one. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Thanks. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Armand. All right, let's do this. So first three, 
Upwork smarter. So this is really outsource as much as possible to Upwork. For example, maybe there's a list online of a hundred top salespeople. Uh, you can get that cleaned up into a CSV in zero effort. Number two, uh, sent from iPhone, leaving that in or purposefully adding that into sequences. And number three is find tools to make you faster. And I would love to get into some of these tools that are my favorite. Alrighty. So let's, let's dig into number one here. So I had the, the wonderful experience of when I was a rep, I was using a VA to do all of my call prep for me, pull the funding data, the employee growth, pull everything, like all the different people that I, I'm going to want to multi-thread to later on. And it saved me multiple hours per week. What are other ways reps can use some sort of Upwork service to drive efficiencies in their day? Yeah. So I would say when you're prospecting, a lot of times you'll find these lists online, these listograms really quickly. You could say, Hey, put this into a CSV that then can be deduped against your CRM, or it can be checked against things so that you can see, Hey, these 18 people aren't even in our database yet, or these 18 accounts aren't in our database. So I'd say, find that. I'll often use Upwork to find LinkedIn profiles of people so that they can social interact with them and get that again while I sleep. The VAs are doing this for me. I've also had them, if you're an early stage startup in sales, you're trying to just hack it in the early days. There's graphic designers on Upwork. And you can say, hey, clean up my deck. Here's all the content, make it look pretty. So you don't have to stress about you know the graphic design elements. I even uh, had someone build a software program that took a company's LinkedIn image. They're uh, overlaid it on a, a Where's Waldo picture in like a little small area. And then as part of like the last step, you know, instead of, you know, when you get ghosted, you're like the Hail Mary last step in the sequence, it was like, Hey, like, where'd you go? Can't find you. By the way, if you can find where's Waldo on this picture, I'll send you 25 bucks uh, to Starbucks. And, you know, I'd also have their face in there too. And so they were like that last step crushed it. It was like, everyone responded to that. So yeah, I, I can go on and on. I think I've spent close to 200 grand on Upwork in the last 10 years uh, while I was an AE and then while starting Sendoso. You're doing some really creative stuff with these sequences. The Where's Waldo, Descent from the iPhone. Can you talk about, are there any other things that you're doing like sequence-wise that are different than usual? I mean, one of the things that I think is different and creative is if we get into what I actually do as a company where I work at Sendoso, I think that adds a creative step too, where you purposely try to find gifts or other things to mail out to prospects. And that I think is the ultimate creativity, whether it's a, Hey, I did my research and I saw you play golf and I'm going to send you some golf balls with your favorite sports team or alma mater. So I think that's a creative step that takes a lot of effort too. Just like you're kind of A-B testing what emails to send, you kind of A-B test what gifts to send and you see what's working, you track the analytics and you rinse and repeat. And I think a lot of salespeople will have you know a little chit chat, small talk before the call kicks off or even during the call. And that's a perfect time to like take that note and then use that in your, your follow-ups to build a rapport with that prospect. So I've seen the use of Sendoso like from a prospecting perspective, Armand's shipping golf balls all across the country. The use case I've used it most for is like when I have somebody in deal cycle mm -hmm. where I meet with Chris, we have a really good demo and he mentions, wow, I've got 47 other meetings today and I don't have time to eat lunch. And like that sets off a trigger in my head that I'm sending Chris a DoorDash gift card exactly. on Sendoso because I want to be like, hey, you said you didn't have time for lunch, like get some sweet green or something. So like those are the two main use cases I think of with with like gifting anything. Are there other use cases that come to mind that you think salespeople should be leaning on more heavily? 
Um, I think there's two others that come to mind. One is if you work in an environment where you have uh, VARs, channel sales, or even just integration partners, I think there's a big e- integration ecosystem. Go find the CSM or the AE that's at you know a partner company and be besties with them and get some deal flow that way. So I think leveraging them to build better rapport with partners is key. Um, so I think that's uh, important. And then after the deal ha- closes and you're kind of building rapport with that new customer, that, that person's probably going to leave and go to another place and uh, at some point. And so if you can still build rapport and keep that relationship alive, you're going to get another chance to win them over at their next job or ask them for a referral or a reference. You know, Hey, skip going to marketing and asking them for who's their best references. Just keep all the people you've sold, build be their best friends, and then use them as, as your, your references. I want to dig into something that you just said a second ago, which was the idea of like gifting to like, I don't know, channel partners or advisors or people in the same space. Cause it's been something that's coming up like more and more recently. And it was something that you put in the prep doc, like partnering with other organizations or advisors. Can you talk about how like an individual contributor could potentially do that to like, maybe not to have to make as many cold calls as I do in a, in a given week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I think there, I mean, most companies will have some partners um, or if you don't have any partners, there's oftentimes where you can see, Hey, I sell into the same ICP as you and go out and kind of form your more ICP related partnerships. And so I think in that case, it's a little thinking outside the box, but if sales reps love networking. And so if you can go find another sales rep or another account manager that's selling the same ICP, create your own partnerships. Hey, we sell a lot into the same accounts. Let's connect over a virtual call to see if we can help each other. Hey, by the way, I'll buy you lunch and here's a 25 bucks to Uber Eats. And so it's like, okay, that, that seems like a very easy, take that and run with it. So Chris, I, I want to take this in another direction where we're talking about all this thing that we're doing to gift to folks to get their attention. And oftentimes I'm using gifts to get the attention of my A-tier accounts or the chief something officer. And that worked. Okay. So I get that first really awesome meeting. You were an AE and now you're a CEO. Oftentimes I struggle as a head of sales as to when I should be bringing my CEO in. So what's mm-hmm. your perspective? I get that hot first meeting. I bring in on the first call to like, drive top-down alignment? Should I bring you in at the end to close the deal? What's the right way to win a deal with my CEO or with my executives? Yeah. So how I look at it is uh, I like to be brought in very early so that I can build some rapport early in the process. And whether it's just an email, a draft on behalf email where it's like, you know, and that could be a stage one or stage two, uh, just so that they see my name. If it's a, a big deal and we want to get me involved more to talk about vision, to talk about other things, uh, I think that bring me in kind of mid-stage, maybe during the eval stage. I think specifically outside of the CEO, depending on who you're selling into, if you sell into a CRO or a CTO or a CIO, that's your main buyer, then go grab that person. You know, For us, we, we oftentimes sell into CMOs and CROs. And so we say, hey, do you want to talk to our CMO to see how they use XYZ? And so I think you can leverage the department head of who your ICP is to an extent. I prefer to get in early so that I can build some rapport and then bring me in in the middle of the deal so that I can actually add value. And then use me at the end if I've already done the beginning and middle so that it doesn't seem like a Hail Mary. It seems like I'm coming back around to add some final value. Now, let's say we get onto that call. So it's you and me, I'm a Sendoso AE, you're the CEO, and it's their chief revenue officer, and then whoever else has been involved in the sales cycle. Maybe it's a head of sales ops or something like that. Oftentimes my CEO will ask me like, what role do you want me to play? Mm-hmm. Because it's tough to like do some back and forth along the way. So can you talk through like, what does the back and forth in the meeting look like 
between you and the account executive? In other words, how do you co-sell in the meeting? Yeah. So typically we'll have a, a couple areas to prep for, which is uh, I think important so that I know where are the areas of focus. Hey, am I talking about our international growth? Hey, am I talking about a couple uh, success stories in there that, that I need to get them over the hump? And that's the goal of the meeting. So typically there'll be a goal involved, whether we've identified that they're not over the hump yet and they, they want to hear other success stories, whether they're worried about international expansion, whether they're much more forward thinking and, and want to hear about the vision and roadmap for the next couple of months, or in some cases, hey, what they want to hear the founding story and it's and they're, they're just kind of curious on how it got started and they're more... So there's a, a couple of different ways to play it, but I think you have to have a goal of like, what is the CEO going to say? What areas of focus? And I think we have like five or six buckets that we try to bucket it into so that we can rinse and repeat a playbook. I'm seeing a lot of parallels because you're talking about things like international expansion, or maybe you're talking about roadmap. You're talking about the things that... And AE might even be perceived to be a liar about mm-hmm. it. And so I'm doing the disco. I'm holding like the line on, hey, these are the problems that you've sought out to solve. And then the CEO is coming over the top and saying like, hey, this is like why our business is built for yes. your business. And you're exactly. Along the way. All right. Exactly. Cool. So what happens when a deal goes bad, right? How do you, how do you resuscitate a deal that's going south? Yeah. So I'd say there's a couple of ways that I would get involved there to resuscitate a deal. And I think this comes into where if we've mapped some advisors or investors that have connections into that account, we can ask for maybe a higher level connection than we currently have or another connection to make an intro. So I'd say one is just trying to find another contact that maybe isn't going quiet. Two, I think it, I could send a Hail Mary um, into the account too um, and offer some kind of value um, or offer a meeting. And again, that works better if I've already established credit. I do, I typically stray away from being the Hail Mary CEO. I, I usually don't do that. I don't think that uh, unless I've been a part of that conversation earlier on. I think maybe you can also ping partners at times. You can get some good account intelligence. Maybe they've gone dark. You say, hey, partner, you know, I know they're your customer already. Like any insights, you know, does this person still work there? We even play dumb like that to see that. And I think you could might be able to get some account intelligence that way too. Well, what a lot of people do is they only think of using partners to get that first referral. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, my 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 integration partners are lead gen folks. The moment they send me a lead, all right, we're good to go. But oftentimes the best, best deals are the ones where it's like, hey, I'm about to multi-thread this one. I'm going to go look at every single person's LinkedIn profile and see, do I have an investor that's connected to them? Do I have an integration partner that's going to be connected to them? And then what you're going to do is you're going to loop them in so that they're already evaluating Sendoso. They're feeling good about it. And then that partner comes in and accelerates the deal. Exactly. Now we have validation externally as well. 100%. 100%. That's a big part of our playbook. We we love trying to be, get third parties involved and it just adds more uh, chances to for that deal to close. So Chris, I'm curious if we sort of flip-flop the seats, let's say your team's in selling and I'm trying to sell to a CEO. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes reps, they struggle to maintain the attention of a CEO for a variety of d- different reasons. They're caught in the weeds. They don't have exec presence, whatever it might be. And so Maybe we'd say like, hey, when was the last time you bought software and what did an AE do really, really well? Or what are some things that AEs commonly screw up that lose the attention of a CEO? Yeah. So I think the most important thing first is what stage is the company at? So when I was a seed stage company, or you could maybe not even by, you can say by size or seed. So when you're a 50 person company, the CEO acts in a way where they're probably making a lot of decisions. They're still buying software. If you're a 
maybe 200 person company that you're going after, maybe they're mid-market, you know, you're, it's questionable if that is the case. When you're a 500, thousand person company, like we're about 500 employees now, I've got C-levels, VPs, directors in the mix. I don't make that many decisions anymore. I, it's just not, I've hired enough people to where everything else is delegated out. And so I think you've got to be smart with what's your ask. If someone comes to me now and says, hey, I want to demo you this software for, HR for uh, for this sales software. I'm like, dude, like, I'm not involved. Like, you're. I, I, sometimes I wouldn't even repl- if it if I feel like they're not doing their homework. Or they could say, hey, just FYI, this might look interesting for you. I'm gonna go talk to XYZ your CRO. If you can nudge them along, please do. And then I'm like, okay, cool. You really realized where I'm at, and you understand. And I think that's helpful. Oftentimes, if they are referencing to me, my other teammates who are already involved or who they're about to get involved with, then I, I'm fine with responding and, and maybe adding my context. Well, I think what a lot of reps don't realize is like, look, you're working an account. You've got 10 contacts on the account. And some of them actually might be, believe it or not, too far above the power line. They mm-hmm. might be too far above the power line. If you're yes. talking to a Fortune 500 company, my guess is the CEO probably isn't going to buy Sendoso. That's just a wild assumption. But 100%. Right? But what you can do is literally to this date, Pave is an earlier stage company. We're just under 100 employees. However, my CEO forwards me stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's exactly. the ones that talk about things like, oh, we're going to help your reps get you to your Series C, for example, or they're talking about bigger business problems and they're not asking him for a meeting. They're being like, hey, could you get this on Armand's radar? And exactly. the ones that do that always get forwarded over to me. And then I have to say no, usually. Yeah. But especially if they've done their homework and they say, hey, can you forward this over to Armand? It's like, boom, you've done your homework. You've already thought about this. You're not asking for the wrong thing. So are you guys seeing reps who are prospect like Chris, are people prospecting into you or Armand or people prospecting into your CEO saying, hey, I don't want a meeting. Can you please forward this to insert the human being's name there? Mm-hmm. I'll see that probably a couple times a week. Wow. I've never done that. And I'm going to have to start doing that. Yeah. Jeez. I think, it, it, again, it varies on the stage. So we're mm-hmm. at the stage of company where Matt, I report directly into our CEO, Matt. Um, and so naturally, he still forwards stuff to me. For everyone listening to this episode, please do not go emailing my CEO <laughs> right now. But then for the size of Ascendo, so a little bit bigger of a company, again, if we're selling like a niche HR software, that the version of that might be they reach out to your chief people officer or your CHRO for a referral to a director of people operations, for example. But it always works. You can go one level above and get that referral. Well, it's really interesting you say that because so I sell to law firms and there's times that I'll get in touch with the managing partner of a big law firm. And while that person is technically at the top and they run the firm, they're not actually running the business operations. So Armand, to your point earlier, like there's times I get a meeting with that person and she's way too high for me in terms of the power line. And I'm spending time like trying to sell to this person. And I guess what you're making me realize I should be doing is just trying to figure out like, who can you introduce me to at your organization? Oh, I saw Armand is your CFO. Like, would you intro me to Armand? And now I'm not like cold pushing anymore. We're trying to sell to someone who like doesn't really feel that pain. Exactly. And then, I mean, I get a hundred percent response when I forward an email internally to another employee. So you bet your butt they're going to look into that email. <laughs> so Chris, I want to go back to this topic of discovery, right? Yeah. And let's say we're going back to the example of doing discovery for Sendoso, right? Yep. So trying to sell someone Sendoso. Now, Nick and I both have these interesting solutions where they can solve some massive problems for companies, 
But what can also happen is people can try to commoditize us and say, oh, you guys are just going to save us a lot of time doing spreadsheets. Or for Nick, ah, you're going to help us with these operational time tracking tasks, right? Or Fendoso, they might say, oh, why can't my reps just USPS some socks? Or why can't we use an executive assistant for that? And so when you go into these discovery calls, you're probably hitting on some bigger picture problems. How do you make it seem like something much bigger than oh, it's, we're just a replacement for your rep boxing stuff up via USPS. And how do you get them thinking bigger picture? Yeah. So I think a couple of different ways. One is even before entering into the conversation, we spend a lot of effort just drumming up noise around the category and why you need this software. And so I think outside of just the, the initial value add, we hope that over the course of years and years and decades in the future, that it'll just become the norm to use our software. And so I think that is at the foremost front to help uh, solve that problem. But if we haven't gotten there yet, and we're still in the trenches of how do we really kind of value-based sell or ROI sell, I think we we will look at it in a couple of different ways. One is we can have some calculators to try to get them to see the value that way. So, hey, this if, if you had 80 reps and they're all spending this many time and this much money, this like actually get them to realize the value, which I think calculators can help with that. We try to create a ton of case studies and videos and try to find someone that's a peer that can be a reference pretty early on. So it's like, hey, don't take our word for it. The CRO over here is on video saying this, or this VP of sales is willing to talk to you. Do you want to hear why they did it? And so I think the peer-to-peer and getting as much as that, I think we've got maybe 75 case studies. We've got like, I don't know, 800 reviews on G2. So we've really put an effort into the peer-to-peer because in the early days, five years ago, no one used this software. We kind of created this software, this category. And so we really had to use peer-to-peer as a, um, a method to validate. So I think those are some of the, the, the ways that you can do it in my eyes. Well, similar to what you guys talked about with bringing an executive in earlier, not to like try to salvage a dying deal, like same thing with a reference. I mm-hmm. used to only give references at the very end where the customer is just like checking a box. But anytime I got a reference involved early, it's like they do the selling for you. It's a real person who's a peer. I want to talk a little bit about like the ROI calculator, because that's something yeah. that I've used before. I sell to lawyers who bill by the hour. And if I can save Armand, the partner, five minutes a day, look at the ROI. But I struggle with them sometimes for two reasons. One, I don't really know how to actually like share it. Like I always sort of struggle. I'm like, I'm going to share my screen and here's a Google sheet. Oh, I don't know how to use a formula. And then also people sometimes don't believe me. And so I'm wondering, how are you guys actually executing on those ROI calculators? Yeah. So I think there's two ways. One is we have like kind of a customer facing one that you can kind of do on your own. Um, and then we have the, the, the Google spreadsheet one. Um, and I think it's really, you're, you're asking them to make the assumptions. So I think there's a lot of input that where you can, if you oversimplify it and you just say, oh, each hour is going to, you're going to say blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, what is this? What is that? What is this? What is that? So they're putting in like the 10 inputs. And I feel, I feel like that ends up getting a, a, the conversation going and at least hopefully gets them over one of the humps of the ROI. I think outside of that, if it's pure, you've also got to talk, I think, 
bigger picture with, for us at least, it's okay, what is, what's the long-term strategy here? You're not going to, what's the cost of not doing this? And, you know, again, start selling a bit more of like, well, what if you bring on 10 more sales reps next month? How do you operationalize this? How much effort is it going to take for them to start packing boxes? And so you start to paint this picture of like, I didn't even think about that. And then it's like, yeah, why don't we just save you time for the next year? This is going to be way easier than... And so I think you've you've got to hit on the future and, and, and find other things that are going to be pain points for them. Well, I'll hit on the packing boxes thing in a second. <laughs> me up. But I hate to use a cliche here, but they always say people buy emotionally and then they justify it logically. And what you're doing is to your point, you're starting with the vision and you're hitting yeah. on things like, look, all of your competitors are trying to break into the same accounts as you and they're pushing one button and a bottle of wine appears. Yeah. And your guys are packing boxes and licking stamps and <laughs> stuff like that. And you're making it seem like the whole world is going in this direction, right? Exactly. So bigger than them. And then what you're doing is you're painting the real logical picture of, do you realize how ridiculous it is to have 10 SDRs, each getting paid an 80K OTE or something like that, licking stamps to mm-hmm. boxes of wine or whatever it is. And that's how you tie it together is you have to do both. You have to hit them with the emotional sale and then you got to hit them with the real numbers behind it to justify it afterwards. Exactly. I think you can even be quirky and fun. I mean, for us, we do too, is like, you know, even just saying like, can you imagine like what Nick's handwriting looks like? Do you want that in front of a prospect? You know, and then you kind of have fun with it. And they're like, you're right. I actually don't want Nick writing notes. He can't write for, you know, <laughs> there you go. I'm looking at it now. It's so, pretty ugly. So I think there's other things where you can just be fun and quirky in the conversation to also uh, instill doubt into why they w- wouldn't want to use you. Chris, this has been phenomenal. I, I just can't get this picture of Armand packing up cardboard boxes and licking stamps <laughs> out of my head, unfortunately. But we're running out of time, so we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things salespeople should be doing. Now let's talk about the opposite. The final question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople doing that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping? I would say, if I had to think about it, maybe not doing, uh, not using a channel because they're timid and they're, they're lazy, like a uh, phone. I, I think use the phone. A phone's not dead or get on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn's social selling is not dead. So I think the, there's this misconception that some of these channels are dead and that's not true. You got to use every channel you could ever do to get a meeting or to close a deal. So don't be scared to use these channels that, you know, some of these LinkedIn folks are saying are dead. And don't be afraid to use a Sendoso channel even. There you um, go. On that note, Chris, is there anything that you want to plug before we jump off here? Uh, we're hiring. So if you're looking for jobs, you know, we got tons that we got a, a recently raised 100 million Series C. So lots of opportunities for uh, SDRs, AEs, AMs, you name it. We're hiring. Beautiful. Folks, send Chris a message if you're looking for a sales job. Thanks so much, Chris. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.
Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Chris Rudegraff. Number one, you need to bring in your executives, not to save the deal at the end, but bring them in early. You can use them to accelerate that deal cycle versus at the end, the deal is already done. Number two, you need to sell the vision of your deal and talk about how the whole industry is going this direction, but then afterwards you can justify it logically. Number three, when you're going after someone who is above the line, or in fact, maybe even above, above the line, what you need to do is not ask every single person for a meeting, but maybe ask the CEO or the CFO, hey, would you be open to sending this email or referring me over to this person? And that's your DM. And then lastly, number four, you're going to keep the scent from my iPhone in your signature. It'll make you seem as a little bit more organic and natural. So give it a shot, folks. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Folks, I really want to show Chris some love because not only was this a really good episode, he he helped us out with some other stuff related to 30 Minutes to President's Club after the recording. And so if you got even a tidbit from this show, and hopefully if you're listening this deep into the episode, you got a tidbit, send him a note and let him know you heard him on the show and say thanks. We'll see you next week, folks, on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.